0: Welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Kai Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa. How are you doing today, Kai?
1: I am fired up. I am ready to learn. One of my favorite, favorite topics today. Let's let's get into
0: it. We are talking about all things play to earn. We're gonna take a deep dive into the metaverse. Um, and even if you're not that into crypto, I'm guaranteeing you've started seeing this metaverse word around and you've started hearing about things like Axie Infinity. And for good reasons place one is revolutionizing not just crypto but how people make money how people think about gaming um and all of this kind of stuff but how does it how does it work what is it why are we hearing so much about it is it just a fad is it the future of gaming is it the future of the economy itself well we needed some guests to help us pick through this so yeah kai i'm just as excited to learn i'm joined by uh, some amazing amazing guests of course Uh, bryce johnson is co-founder at loot squad gg uh welcome to the show bryce can you tell the listeners about yourself and what you do definitely thanks so much simon
2: and kai for having me definitely an honor to be on blockchain insider talking about play to earn so i am an axie infinity content creator nft gaming creator and i run a gaming organization or guild called loot squad gg we focus on play to earn gaming as well as esports and community building and really cultivating the culture of nft gaming and the future of play to earn in the metaverse
0: wow I'm excited to unpack all of that with you. And uh, alongside Bryce, because we have none other than the godmother of the metaverse herself, Kathy Hackle, who is really, really just... Overwhelmingly smart, and I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about you and the metaverse. So, please tell us about yourself and your background. Thank
3: you. I'm so excited to be here as well. Uh, I feel like I'm going to learn as well uh, from everyone here. So, uh, my name is Kathy Hackle. I am Chief Metaverse Officer at Futures Intelligence Group. I am popularly known as the Godmother of the Metaverse. I still chuckle about that, but a friend at Nike uh, gave me that name. So, you know, it seems to have taken off. You know, I work with lots of different brands, mostly in fashion in luxury and beauty uh, to help them, you know, with either virtual worlds, virtual fashion, NFTs, metaverse strategies. We started to do Discord uh, managed community management as well, because that's something they're they're really uh, interested in as well. And yeah, I come from kind of, uh, uh, let's say, a long time in metaverse related industries, worked in VR and AR at HTC Vive um, as a VR evangelist during the partnership with Spielberg's Ready Player One. So that's part of my metaverse pedigree. That's what I tell people. Uh, Then went over to Magic Leap. So whoever knows about Magic Leap, very interesting company, uh, pretty much creating spatial computing, augmented reality glasses. And our chief futurist when I was there was Neil Stevenson, who coined the term metaverse. So part of the pedigree as well. And then moved on to Amazon Web Services, worked there in large scale simulations on the game tech side. And then, yeah. And then decided to launch off on my own, and it's been um, it's been exponential growth on um, the term metaverse uh, for the past eight months.
0: <laughs> I, and I think, uh, Kathy, that that's it. I mean, uh, as soon as Zuckerberg starts saying metaverse, you know, it's it's catching on, and it's kind of made it mainstream. But let's just unpack that for because, like, it's a word that's getting thrown around, and like the lampshade in front of me is a metaverse company now, and this 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 mouse that I have is a metaverse company, like. How do you define it and how do you place play to earn within the context of that?
3: Yeah. So, you know, obviously the definition is really murky right now. There's many people define it in many different ways. So there's not one set um, definition. I will tell people last time I went to the Merriam-Webster dictionary and typed in metaverse. It literally said this word is not in the dictionary. Okay, so we're trying to define a word that's not even in the dictionary. Very simple way for people to start to wrap their heads around it, right? Web 1.0 connected information and we got the internet, that changed a lot of things, right? Web 2.0 connected people, we got social media, that changed a heck of a lot of other things, right? and then web 3.0 we're at the end of web 2.0 going into web 3.0 connects people places and things and sometimes these people places and things can be in a fully synthetic virtual environment lot of virtual reality, but not only in VR. It's also our real world with level of augmentation. So it's not only you know people tend to think ready Player One Oasis. no, That's not the metaverse. So in this web 3.0 world we're going into there's something called the Metaverse, which is the the successor of of the you know of today's mobile internet. It's convergence of physical and digital. Um, easiest way for people to kind of just try to wrap their heads around it. It's your digital lifestyle catching up to your physical lives. Like in very simple, you know, terms. If you want to explain it to your grandparents or something, right? <laughs> something like that for them to grasp grasp their, their heads around it. And it's enabled. It's it's not one technology and it's not one company. It's enabled by many different technologies, right? AR and VR are an entry point. There's obviously blockchain and NFTs, which are a huge component of digital ownership, of digital assets. So that's kind of where where this you know the concept of play to earn comes into play, right? And I can definitely talk a little bit further about the things I'm seeing in the fashion world related
2: to that.
0: That's exciting, Kathy. I want to throw it to Bryce Stone, and maybe pick up Play to Earn, and tell us like your journey into Play to Earn as well. I think it might be quite allowing people to access what that is.
2: Yeah. So previously, before I jumped into this space, I feel like a guppy, a little baby who's still kind of finding its way. I started out in crypto uh, back in April of this year. Uh, Formerly, I was a software engineer, but I was driving home and I was listening to a podcast and found this game called Axie Infinity. And I got to plug the guy Andrew Steinwald at Sefermion. He's one of the uh, people who are building like metaverse hedge funds and getting into NFTs and and investing there. But he was talking about this game called Axie Infinity. So I go home. I'm like, okay, so it's like Pokemon. But you know, you battle against other trainers and you earn actual income in the form of their in-game currency. That's also a cryptocurrency that can be traded, you know, on on different exchanges and things of that sort. So I was like, wow, this is insane. And then once I realized in a lot of these developing nations, people are living and playing in the metaverse and earning four or five times the income in a couple of hours from which they would earn previously, it would take, you know, days, months, years to build. It seemed like the most exceptional idea ever. And seeing that from where it was in April and now taking off, it almost feels like we are still so early into the space to where we don't really know where this could go, but the future of jobs, work and play will all live in the metaverse in some way, shape or form. And I think both myself and Kathy uh, can attest to that from what we're seeing so far. So
1: Bryce, what you're saying is you had somewhat of a background, you know, being a gamer and a content creator. Can you contextualize like when you came across Axie Infinity how did that compare to other games that you'd played, you know, was it as fun, you know, how was it different, you know, when you you immediately started playing it?
2: Yeah, so when I first got started to be completely honest, I think there was about 40,000 daily active users and I went on Twitch, I was looking for a way to learn more information about the game because, you know, barrier to entry is seven, $800. And the first time I entered, I bought these axes and the ones I bought were actually very horrible to use in the arena. So I wasn't earning that much money and I had no clue. There weren't any docs or any great kind of operational information in terms of what you should be buying. The content scene hadn't been cultivated to that point. So I realized this and I was like, Hey, you know, why don't I just start streaming on Twitch and seeing where things go. And over the course of like, three, four months, I went from averaging like no Twitch viewers to like over three, four thousand per stream, just streaming Axie Infinity. But the game is super intuitive. And I think where it currently is, is like the battling system works on a card based strategy where it's like, you know, you're playing cards very similar to like if you were to play like a strategy game, like a chess or something. But the true value and where I saw Axie going was these different creator economies and these metaverse communities that were being built on top of the Axie uh, infrastructure, for example, a lot of people don't realize that Twitter, in a sense, is like the gateway to the Metaverse, in my opinion, and that's the place where you know I'm able to interact with so many people and learn and grow and cultivate an Axie audience, and this is what other Axie creators are doing in general. And then you see the meteoric like rise of how Axie has gone over the last couple of months to you know one million, and now I'm pushing two million daily active, and a you know 152 million dollar uh, round that they just closed out, and it's like. It's because the community backing behind the game is so strong that people are willing to stay solid on Axie, regardless of what the floor price of an Axie would look like. It's very different than traditional NFT communities. And I think the future of Metaverse communities relies heavily on community builders to very much ingrain this approach of long-standing impact and also longevity.
0: And Kathy, that's probably not dissimilar to some of the big video game franchises we've sort of seen around Fortnite and Roblox, but there are some crucial differences.
3: Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, with with Play to Earn, with, you know, these are let's say, open ecosystems of sorts, right? They're not walled gardens. Like, you know, with Roblox right now, if you go into Roblox and you buy an item like my kids do all the time, you know, they can't really take it to Fortnite or to a different game. There's no value in it, right? So what what did the, these decentralized uh, opportunities and games allow us to do is eventually, you know, create some type of portability in between different games. So I do a lot of work with a company called Upland, which is a another uh, play-to-earn game. Right. And what I'm seeing there is really interesting in, in like the in the players behavior and kind of what they're what they're starting to do, what they're starting to. You know, right now you buy virtual real estate, but soon enough, you'll be able to kind of build on that and, and, and set up services. They're starting to sell, you know, different things called Upland Legits, which are different types of NFTs. So I do want to kind of highlight something that, that Bryce mentioned, which is community. Right. Whenever I talk to any of the companies I work with, I say community and authenticity in the metaverse are kings. In, in this web 3.0 world that we're heading into, the ad revenue models of the past, right? the way that Facebook became what Facebook is and, and, and you know a lot of, a, lot, a lot of these companies on ad revenue models, those will probably not work in web 3.0. Right. It's almost like we're facing a bit of a change here in the age of extraction, you know, over Web 2.0 is a lot of extraction of data. Your data was taken from you. You know, you got an app for free or something. But now in this Web 3.0, instead of the age of extraction, it's we're actually able to own. Right. We're actually able to own who we are as a player. We're able to, you know, make a profit and and play to earn. Exactly. And kind of make a living like Bryce was saying. And, And I think that that is a huge sea change. And you know most of the brands that I work with are, are really, in some ways, not prepared for kind of this transition from the days of Mad Men and Madison Avenue to no, it is community driven, and you've got to be active in the community authentically in order to be taken seriously, in order to be relevant in Web 3.0. I
0: think that just fundamentally changes, yeah, corporate advertising, corporate comms, and the nature of what it means to be a brand in the metaverse age, in the Web 3.0 age. And authenticity is this word that uh, we keep coming back to, Bryce. And what do you think it is about Axie that just has driven authenticity? And, you know, do people actually enjoy playing the game? Like, is it is it, is it fun on some level?
2: Yeah, I definitely think the game is is fun at a certain extent, but then there's also the portion of the game where it's like, it's fun up into a point and it becomes more fun when your favorite creators are also playing it and making it fun. I think that's like the concept with almost... Pretty much every game. Like for example, I could go play Fortnite or some other game, and I might have fun for a little bit when I'm playing by myself. But it's when you see yourself playing with others and interacting with, you know, your favorite streamers. Like for example, I was a big fan of Ninja and Fortnite. So any time Ninja would try some new build or something, like I would go do it. And I feel like you know I'm a little bit more connected with Ninja through the actual in-game experience. So when I'm streaming and people see me try out different axes and different builds and do these weird, crazy reactions to some of the, you know, the events that are happening in the battles, that's where the true fun and the experience and the stickiness of the community comes from. I think it's much deeper than just the game being turn based or card based, but more so the actual interaction with the community, the streamers and how it impacts like the long term game flow in the current state. I think Axie is fun, but there are moments where, you know, you do get a little bit kind of drained out from just the traditional card structure and what the team is kind of doing in the future is they do plan on releasing a full MMO RTS real time strategy game that's going to come out sometime next year called the land game game and that is going to probably revolutionize uh, a different spectrum in terms of axie content that you're currently seeing but people are having fun people are enjoying it I stream it every day I have a lot of fun doing so and you know there's always going to be this kind of elephant in the room of oh is this how is this different than traditional gaming is the entertainment value there is are people playing it because there's money involved and the answer to all those questions are is yes you know people are playing it because there's money involved people are also playing it because it's fun and entertaining i mean if i didn't think it was fun or entertaining i probably wouldn't stream it but but that would be my abridged long form answer to that question.
0: I know, and I love that answer. Um, but also, like, Kathy, you're probably aware, and, and I keep bumping into, you know, people are serious game studios on the incumbent side, but also startups are building in Unreal Engine and Unity Engine, Unreal 5. Like, really, the stuff that's coming 18 months out could start to look very, very different. And how do, how do we think about what that can mean, Kathy?
3: Well, yeah, I think, you know, once you once you start building on these game engines and especially Unreal, the capacity to be able to do, you know, things that are just visually stunning. Right. And they also have the meta-human engine. Right. And, you know, and think about the NPCs that are going to be able to be part of the, these games. I think it, it's quite interesting. But, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people in the gaming community. And it's interesting because I have on this side the conversations of people that are all in on play to earn. Right. And I tend to be all in on play to earn. But I also have to listen to the other side. I've been talking to other people that have been developing games for a long time, and they tell me, oh, this NFT thing, it's the initial coin offering, right? (laughs) like it feels like that again, or, you know, it's it's a scam or it's not going to prove, you know, to be relevant. And, And I'm talking like people that have been developing games for a long time, serious gaming studios, and they have this skepticism. Right. And to me, it's really interesting to hear that other perspective right? And then you have what happens in the news. You've got Steam saying, we're kicking out all the games that are that have any element of blockchain. So they're resisting change, right? And then you have Epic, who has Unreal Engine saying, hmm, Sweeney had said, you know, we're not there yet with NFTs. But he has, you know, Epic has said, we're going to start to engage with developers and potentially look at this. So you've got this kind of at least what I'm seeing, and Bryson, you might see it too, kind of a, a very hard split down the middle of you're either all in and you think this is the future, or you're over here and you're resisting change and you just don't think that this is the, you know, the play to earn is the future. So I think it's an important debate to have as well.
0: Kai, that wouldn't sound unfamiliar to where, you know, we see some bankers with crypto over the last five to 10 years. I mean, I, I think the, the Jamie Dimon index on, um, you know, Bitcoin is going to die sort of thing versus I wouldn't recommend it versus my analysts are actually suggesting it's an inflation hedge, but I'm not interested in it. Like that mood music can take a while to time to change and incumbents are going to incumbent. But it's so interesting seeing like video games companies as incumbents to something. Like, when did when did that happen? That's that's really, really exciting. To- it
1: seems like it's it's almost, it's fundamentally just this, this new business model. And one way that, that I've approached this is, you know, growing up, I used to play a lot of video games. And I would have never imagined that it could be a career. Like, it was very much, I'm putting time in, I'm getting entertainment and value with my friends. And that's it and so i'm curious you know from your perspective bryce how have we evolved from people play games for fun to pass the time to then some people who are really really good at those games can earn a lot of money and become you know professional players and stars to now pretty much everyone playing a game can earn some type of income so how do you think about that from the streamer and and the content creator side
2: Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because when I first started playing video games as a kid, you know, I was watching the Nade Shots, uh, some of the guys on Madden Challenge that used to come on ESPN. And my thought process was, dude, if I wanted to make a living doing this, I need to be one of the best gamers in the world. And, you know, I really focused and honed in on at that time, you know, the era was you got to be the best just to be able to make enough to earn 50, 60 grand a year just to say, hey, I'm a full time professional gamer. Um, And then it expanded, like you were saying, where we saw Dota, League of Legends, these insane prize pools, gamers making. Making millions streaming like Ninja, Um, and at that point it was like, okay, like you know, I could become a streamer and and make a nice living, and I don't have to be a pro player. And now this new era, as you were saying, goes into the space where every average ordinary person can just make a make an earning playing. In the United States, it might be you're earning enough to just pay off an extra bill every month and save some passive income. Over in you know the Philippines, it might be hey you're earning enough to actually sustain and live well off, and not just to survive but to thrive. But the crazy thing behind this entire system is that when you look at the expansion of gaming, as Gabby once put it, and he's like the co-founder or the founder of YGG, he said, NFT games don't need to be as fun or as awesome as traditional games for them to be successful. They just need to be more fun than the regular nine to five job you do every day or the regular side gig that you have every day. And if you can do that, then it takes gaming to a place where it expands beyond the traditional structures and norms of what people thought was possible. And now gaming enters spaces like finance, it enters spaces like um, social community or constructs that go deeper than gaming and you start impacting cultural phenomena. And I think that's what we're seeing Seeing the future of gaming isn't just playing games because it's fun. It's playing because it's more fun than the job or the side thing that you do to earn current income, and that could be an even bigger play in the landscape of things.
3: Can I jump on something there, Bryce? That you said it's it's so interesting because it's so true. I 100% in line with what you're saying, and I see it with my kids. So I've got three kids. They're obviously not playing NFT games yet. They're you know they're more in the Roblox stage, but they're creating things. They're they're selling things, right? So. They're, they're starting to earn, right, in their own way by selling and developing. And it's priming them. And my point of view, it's like almost priming them for that next era of NFT gaming for them. You know, I do a lot of work with fashion and beauty brands. And it's the question is, you know, sometimes for them, it's like, how can we, you know, how can someone potentially get a skin or an outfit or virtual makeup and maybe earn something for just wearing that? Right, so it's play to earn, but it's also where where to earn, right? That's one of the concepts and one of the things that we're starting to think through is like, what does that look like, right? If I am a big Gucci fan and I start wearing Gucci inside these games, you know, what what does that mean? How do I how does loyalty go from there? So it is play to earn, but I think that there's obviously something bigger happening: digital ownership of digital assets. But exactly that level of of engaging your community in a totally different level. And, you know, even thinking about, you know, where to earn in some of these games.
0: I thinking about marketing budget in a completely different way. And it's thinking about um, transactions and payments. Like I dare bring it back to FinTech for a second, but like, if you were to think about how does that, how does that money move? How's that person receiving it? How are they trading it? And like all of that kind of stuff, there's there's so much happening behind the scenes. Um, But but I wanna double down on something for a second, Bryce. Like, There's always, uh, like, if work becomes play, there was something that um, Lex Sokolin from Consensus said on our our last podcast, which is, if the sun is going to burn out the planet and we're we're heading towards a heat death of the universe, should we not all just go hang out in the metaverse to, to ignore it for a little while? like. Is there purpose here or are we could we reinvent work? Could we do something useful with this? Or is it is it all about fun? Do you think there's there's some balance there that you're starting to see?
2: I think that there is a strong balance that's needed. Like, for example, you know, I've played some other NFT gaming demos and they are substantially less fun than Axie. And and, you know, I find it very hard for me to think that those games are going to do well. So I kind of like Take my foot off the gas a bit there but in terms of the the ecosystem of how guilds are being brought up and how people are building within the guilds it's like we have people that are earning but then we also have you know guild members in the philippines who you know they didn't really know what they wanted to do with their lives but they knew they were really good at art and like for example one of them recently got you know he's working as a creative director of loot squad but he recently just got a really big gig with the oni force people to you know do art for the oni force dao and it's like these are like intersections that we never saw coming but could the future of work and play just be working in spaces, whether it's gaming or just you know community-related metaverse activities that just allow us to be who we truly are supposed to be? I, I very much think so, because I- you know at the end of the day, most people their ideology isn't yo. Know, I need to make as much money as I need in the world. It's how do I make enough money to sustain the lifestyle that I need and continue to fulfill my passions? And if you can do that, you can live a very fulfilled life. Whether I mean, maybe your passions are you need a, you need to make a million a year or two mil. Or or maybe it's, hey, I'm cool on 50 or 60K a year. But I definitely think the intersection of, of gaming, work, play, and just overall fun that's throughout the metaverse is going to be uh, the future of work and play. And I know Kathy could probably expand on that as she is the queen of the metaverse in general.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, I was having a conversation with uh, Tommaso Di Bartoli. He teaches at Berkeley. And he said something to me really interesting. He said, look, for centuries, Humans, like the human, humans have been, you know, work has been hard, has been like physical labor. It's been really hard. Work means something hard and you're tired and, you know, physical. But as we get into this era, I look at my kids and I I think, you know, does it have to be that way? Right. No, I see them and I see the potential for them to actually be working in the metaverse. Right. And making a living. And it doesn't necessarily have to be boring, Uh, Right. And it could be it could be a lot of fun. It could earn, um, them, you know, (laughs) a lot of income. So, yeah, I think there is this definitely this change happening in how we approach work. Right. Does it always have to be something that we dread or, you know, I'm very I'm very thankful I have a wonderful job, so I don't dread mine. Um, But, you know, a lot of people do so. How are we moving away from, you know, all these centuries of work being something hard to work being something fun, right? That, that just kind of seamlessly blends with, with how we live and, and how we, you know, how we choose, who we choose to engage with, right. Also with community. I think that that's, that's incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so nascent. The funny thing is like we're, we're all of us right here. It's so early, right? This is so early and we're having these really deep conversations and, you know, for anyone that's listening out there, that's just kind of like feeling maybe a little lost or I or think no, just know it's early, it's still really early in the game. And you can still be a part of this. One of the th- big things that I've kind of really imparted to people is that there's a transitioning happening in the metaverse, we all become world builders right? And now is the time to build. Now is the time to start building whatever it is that you're building towards. But there's great opportunity, you know, and and people, you know, people, it's still early enough for you to join. Don't feel like because you see NFTs everywhere and metaverse everywhere that it's late, you're early.
0: I think it was interesting to me is the signal of people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, who was super early into social media, took a lot of stick for being like, this is going to change marketing, this is going to be super important turned out to be right. There are some people that seem to catch on to trends that have cottoned onto this one and gone, no, this is really coming. Um, and whenever something's early, you always get the the naysayer who says, no, this isn't going to happen. But we've also got the risk of, of kind of unintended consequences. Kathy, I love that point about like the future of work. And Bryce, you mentioned it as well. There's a project called Helium, for instance, which is you know, really quite different. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but essentially it's um, people-powered version of uh, wireless networks. So you can Uh, kind of provide the hardware and in return you will receive ownership in the network and you'll receive like a, a cash reward in that currency but also, you can just use that network if you care about decentralization, if you care about um, providing a network in um, a, the global south economies where there isn't currently a network for that's not covered by Starlink. So like whatever your passion is, it feels like there's a project where you can have ownership of it, and that doesn't necessarily have to be video-video game related. It's like the passion economy or something along those lines. It just happens that a lot of people are, are passionate about all things metaverse. Um, I'm going to take a, a, a quick break here, and we're just going to hear from our sponsors and we'll be back very, very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like Fintech Fast Track, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement Learn more at Visa.com forward slash crypto. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11FS.com forward slash careers.
1: So I want to unpack some of these models uh, in in more detail. And and so my own experience growing up playing video games, I played with my friends who sat next to me in the same room. Uh, I played a little bit some Call of Duty servers, and I never really talked to the people that I played against, but I knew there were some other people out there. And that was about it. And now we have this concept of a scholarship program, and these teams, and these guilds, And so how are gamers being organized within the play to earn
2: ecosystem? And
1: and Bryce, you know, tell us more about kind of what is Loot Squad in this you know, concept of a scholarship program and how does it actually work?
2: Totally. So at the very base, and I want to kind of start off at the low level for anyone who might be listening and has, you know, lack of experience with play to earn and NFT gaming. um, Scholarshipping is in a sense like NFT asset lending uh, to individuals to use and leverage in these games to farm or earn cryptocurrency uh, that's provided by the game as you have like proof of work. So as someone plays, puts more time into the game, you need certain assets to be able to do that. once you do that you can earn uh, based on playing with those assets now in the equivalence of the IRL or the real world strategy of like, if this was like legitimate and real like outside terms, we would probably look and say, hey, Kai, let's go together and both go half on buying uh, a Honda Civic and we'll have our brother like go down the street and he'll drive it for us all week long, you know, and he'll earn some income for driving it and we might earn a little bit of money on the side just for lending him our car for a couple of hours. Now, that's kind of the concept of how scholarshiping looks in the real world. And in the metaverse, what happens is in Axie Infinity, We lend out these little creatures, these cute, lovable pets called axes. You know, it's very expensive to get started in this game. We're talking, if you wanted to buy a team, you're looking at $700 to $1,000. So, in a lot of these developing nations, most people cannot afford to just take $700, $1,000 and spend on a team that's normally like, you know, three, four, maybe even five months' income for them. So, what we currently do is we lend out these assets and take a small percentage of what they earn in return. Um, and what that allows us to do is sustain as a guild because we can lend more of these assets out to, you know, our guild members and we call it, you know, scholarshipping. and the term behind scholarshiping is once someone plays on our scholarship for Axie Infinity over time, they save up enough income to be able to buy their own team. And that's where the whole term of graduating scholarships comes from. And then they can just earn as much as they want hundred percent under their own guys. And there's really this philanthropic approach to it because you're allowing and you're empowering someone to be able to play these games and earn an income. It's more so teaching a man how to fish uh, instead of just giving him fish. Um, And I really think that when you look at how scholarships work in the dynamic, You know, people are building large-scale companies. For example, Loot Squad, we're closing on a $4 million raise to extend our scholarship program uh, to places like South America, places like Africa, uh, and really allow people to feel empowered and use games as a platform to create generational wealth for themselves, for their family, and just put themselves in better financial positions overall. So at the very high level, if you're playing Axie Infinity, the way it would go, let's say the Loot Squad lends you three Axies, you go battle Kai Sheffield in the arena, you beat Kai Sheffield, you earn some SLP, a little percentage of that SLP goes back to the loot squad. You keep the majority of it and you just continue to do this, you know, day in and day out until you earn enough to get your own team, you get your own team, then you play 100% under your own guys. You can still be in the loot squad at that point uh, and be a community member. But, you know, that is the whole idea behind scholarship super, super interesting. And so
1: it's almost like a, on one hand, you have people all across the world who have time and they're excited they want to play a game, but they don't have the capital for the upfront cost of the assets that are needed. And then you have other people who may have the capital and they can purchase these assets, but they don't have the time to play the game or they don't have the skill to play the game. So it's almost like it's a a new global marketplace that's emerging between developed economies and emerging economies. So Kathy, how do you think about this in the context of the future of work is this a new form of globalization where people are coming together through games providing capital and providing labor
3: definitely i definitely see that in just you know hearing bryce talk i'm like how can i get involved right (laughs) one of the things i try to do is also like try to put capital behind kind of the things i see that are important Right. So, yeah, I mean, I made investments. I'm an angel. I'm an LP at several places, but also like, you know, how can I get more active in one of these ways? So I find that really interesting, Bryce, personally, uh, from my perspective. But, yeah, I definitely think there's obviously this model seems really interesting and and can impact uh, future opportunities. Right. Um, For for more people to be able to kind of get access and, and profit, you know, inside these games and make a living. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just in awe about what, what you're doing, Bryce. This is super interesting.
1: The other element to it that I, I think is important is it's not just the financial piece. It's it's not it it seems like from what I've seen on, on Twitter and, and you know, Bryce is the Axie King on, on Twitter, you know, they don't treat Bryce like a bank where, where let's go to Bryce and just get Axies. It, it almost feels more like a university in a community where you know, there's a team that you root for, you're, you're making friends. And so can you talk more about some of the community elements of what people get joining one of these scholarship programs, even outside of you know the ability to play the game with the assets that scholarship programs provide?
2: Yeah. Um, so at the very high level and the, probably the most important piece of all of this is just the Added addition of community. I hop into Discord calls every night almost after my streams and we'll sit in there and have deep heart to hearts, just me and you know my different kind of community members and scholars. And for them, they're like, wow, you know, there's this, this guy, he's Bryce, he's super verified and all this stuff. But, you know, we get direct access to him. And, and for a lot of people over there, that's all they really want: a place where they can belong, a place where they can feel valued. And a lot of them express that. They're just like, hey, you know, I felt like my life lacked a level of meaning before joining the loot squad. Now I have a future in terms of where I want to go with my life. I have direction. I've met friends who are very much like me and accept me with all my quirks. So at the very high level, community is like the basis of what I preach and what I build off of and empowering others. And then it expands beyond that because it's like, okay, do you want to be a content creator? We have multiple, you know, People in developing nations who have become now pretty sizable streamers, uh, you know, on Twitch and have become Twitch affiliates and are earning Twitch income just from streaming through building, you know, community in the loot squad and now having their own followings. We have people who create art. We have people who sing. We do karaoke night. It's really like these metaverse communities are becoming, you know, the new earth. It's becoming the new wave of how people just interact every day. Um, and to be honest, I probably spend. 90% of my life now in the metaverse and the other 10 is me leaving my basement to go out and do stuff. So uh, it's probably unhealthy to a non-crypto guy or, or someone that you know is isn't into the NFT space as much. This is like the lives of everyone that is in this space. We just truly love what we do. And we spend our time looking at screens and talking to people we haven't met yet with the hopes that we'll meet them one day.
0: But the level of fulfillment people are getting out of that, I think, can't be understated, right? I think if, if you're somebody who's naturally quite outdoorsy, you might hear that and think that sounds horrible, but that's subjective. Like that's one person's opinion of the level of enjoyment that you might get out of, of an experience. And one of the things I find uh, super interesting is is like the book Tribes by Seth Godin. Um, must be 2008 he released this. The idea of like whatever you're into, there is a tribe on the internet that's really into that thing. And maybe there was nobody in your city that was really into that. But uh, around the world, that there will be people that are just like you. And actually when you find your tribe, Tribe, you will build this little society and community around this tribe and feel much more connected to them than you do your your neighbor next door, which sort of feels lonely, but also not. And I think that's like humans are changing how they communicate, which is kind of weird, but also kind of interesting. I mean, Kathy, how do you, how do you reflect on like that changing nature of community and what it means for commerce and for brands as well?
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with you on, on tribes. I do see these groups like finding each other and just building community. And when you mention like someone outdoorsy, I'm sure that, you know, an REI or someone like that's already trying to figure out how to NFT experiences <laughs> that get you access to those outdoor experiences. So um, what I will say, one thing I think is really important for anyone listening to this podcast that is not necessarily a gamer, someone that might be, you know, a, a professional that's not necessarily a gamer, someone in, in brand or marketing, you know, there's different ways to learn. One of the things I'm personally doing that I'm really excited about is I'm partnering with Republic Realm so for anyone that doesn't know Republic Realm they're one of the biggest investors in virtual real estate they're the ones that bought what um, was I think it's nine hundred thousand dollar parcel of land in the centerland and are setting up Metajaku which is a shopping district they're investing in a lot of these different platforms and I'm helping them launch something called Realm Academy, which is going to be education for executives. So executive education, it's geared towards executives, it's geared towards investors that want to find out more, it's geared towards people that want to make a career change. Uh, and also students that are interested in learning more about the metaverse, about Web three, blockchain, NFTs. You know, it's a non technical, so this is not an, it's non technical, um, but it is very high level. It's being taught by multi- multidisciplinary faculty. I'm the dean, so I'm very happy about that. And you know, we've got folks from you know from Berkeley and from NYU and a whole bunch of different you know institutions and organizations. So, um, so I, I think you know to that point, it's it's also changing the way we educate ourselves. And we learn. Right. Because one of the things that we're doing is once you finish the course, you get an NFT badge and that NFT actually also unlocks a lot of the content and also an alumni network where we're eventually going to have potential, you know, job opportunities and all sorts of things. So, yeah. So I think, you know, this whole <laughs> this whole space is Going to revolutionize a lot of different things, including education, both from the scholarship side of what Bryce is doing and also from the executive education side. Right. And it's going to change potentially how people learn and and educate themselves.
1: It's a new workforce training model. And it's also fascinating the role that some of these programs, academies and scholarships are playing in how that benefits the game, you know, in a, a previous life I used to work with, you know, game developers and you know they were, you know, buying mobile ads and thinking about user acquisition strategies and it was usually the way you learn to play the game is you download the app and there's a short tutorial and that's it. And they're trying to get you through the tutorial and then they hope that you now know everything about the game and then you can play on your own. Here from what it sounds like, you know, with loot and with some of these other initiatives, it's like you have someone there that is the professor, that is the coach, that is the trainer, that's there to answer questions and, and help you get into the game to play against you, to play with you. And so that onboarding experience into a game seems to be much more seamless. And then while games can be you know hit or miss and one game can go away, if you have this community that is, you, know, you could take to different games together that scholarship program becomes like a the Stanford University for training a certain type of a, a player. So Bryce, how do you think about, you know, is Loot Squad just about Axie? Is Loot Squad about any play to earn game? And how do you actually go through the process of providing that training and that education so that people are set up for success once they start playing?
2: Yeah, totally. So Loot Squad in general, we're a NFT gaming conglomerate. Like we focus on all games, not just Axie Infinity and not just, you know, NFT games in general. You know, we're also looking at traditional games because I think the future balance uh, is being able to cross seamlessly across both lines. Like I really love playing Axie. I also really love playing Valorant as well. So for me, it's like being involved on both sides of the spectrum. But I definitely think uh, the future of how Loot Squad works and if guilds want to be successful in the space, it's helping culture and hyper scale the growth of these games you know when we go into a game it's like I start talking about a game tomorrow, you know, that game now has a community of over 25, 30,000 people just on, you know, discord alone, not even including Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch that are very much now interested in playing and will hop into that community based on, you know, me giving them the authenticity of saying, Hey, this is a game that I'm backing. And this is one that we are going to be providing scholarships in, playing streaming everything in between. So I definitely think this is something that can be hedged across multiple games, but Also, I think the future is providing a space where these guilds are creating consumer-based products because you have a large consumer base at this point. So for Loot Squad, our vision isn't just being a, a guild that just scholar farms in a sense. Our goal is to really create the Coinbase of Play to Earn and allow everyday people to invest in owning teams under the Loot Squad brand that they can not only play with together, they can root for, they can play in tournaments, and they can also share with their friends. No different than if you were to play in an intramural league, but at a much higher scale in you owning your own franchise. And you know they would, of course, as a beneficiary, earn yield in these games from owning these teams. So ideally, we think that there is a space where you can we could become uh, an, a game aggregator for NFT games altogether and provide a space where people can invest, earn, and play together uh, as owners under the Loot Squad brand. So that is like our long-term vision in terms of what we're building. And that requires more than just playing Axie Infinity, but maybe in the future, it's Axie Infinity, Alluvium, and the Sandbox games. I think the Sandbox is very similar to Roblox, and we're going to see a, a lot of uh, exceptional stuff being built there. So for us, it's like, how do we cultivate the space and provide a level of legitimacy and validity that turns traditional gaming executives into people that say, hey, not only do I need to take play to earn in NFT gaming seriously, I need to jump on the bandwagon and figure out how I can get play to earn in NFT gaming ingrained into our current system and infrastructure of gamers.
3: To add to that, I'm actually, and I'm just going to add this because it's funny, one of the C-level executives that I work with, we literally did a tour of some games so like we know we had like their assistant set up an account and stuff but then they would meet they met me in roblox and they may be here like we played because they were just like they they knew the games but they've never played them right so you know that to me is a big signal that a c-level executive at a brand wants to go and meet with me in these games and play try to wrap their heads around we didn't do any any of the nft ones just yet because he just was getting his feet wet but um but yeah i agree with you they, it's gonna they're gonna have to evolve
0: this is your point, Kai, about the whole Web three space. Though, is until you've got a MetaMask wallet or a Rainbow.me wallet or something, and how to play with it, it's gonna be confusing. Um, the best way to learn is to buy getting started. And I, I remember in two thousand nine, ten, you know, helping executives use fintech apps for the first time and fintech safaris and that sort of thing. Like uh, incumbents, are gonna be incumbent, but actually, there are some that can do really well by by getting on the front footing, especially those that have got you know really popular intellectual property and what can they do with that uh, but there's also going to be entirely native uh, ips that are built and that's going to be really really exciting so to to close us out kathy um you know what are your big predictions for the next one to five years how does how does this play out
3: well I, you know i'm really excited about the development of, of the metaverse in general and kind of where we're heading you know there's a lot of conversation right now on rebranding for facebook and those sorts of things and whether you know if they go very meta <laughs> with the name that could have negative, you know, some some cast some doubt on the metaverse or create some type of, you know, mistrust. Um, so we'll have to see on that. What I would say is I think you're going to see definitely more brands and companies try enter the space in more authentic ways and try to really be part of the community. Uh, I also see that there's going to be a very big need for people that understand Web3 you know, beyond just, you know, people say, like, is is it a marketing function? No, it's a it's a business function Like this is going to take this is going to be really important. It's you're going to need someone that understands crypto, understands gaming, understands a lot of different things. So I definitely will. I see this. This there's going to be a big need. Right. And there's going to be a big rush for talent as well to understand this understands the space. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see kind of where where my kids graduate to uh, from Roblox, where they go next. Uh, as they get older, you know, is, is it probably going to be an NFT game? What is it going to be? And um, yeah, and I think my biggest prediction is that my hope, at least, is that by having someone like myself, a woman, a woman of color, you know, at the forefront, being a very outspoken public figure on the metaverse, that that can help motivate more, uh, more you know, women and more minorities to know that they can be a part of this Web 3.0 world. So not so much a prediction, but a hope. That we're going to be able to create this Web 3.0, um, not only decentralized but also more di- more diverse.
0: Yeah, uh, Bryce, uh, thoughts on the next one to five years?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think a diverse metaverse is going to be super important, um, and it's important to give women the space to not only feel safe in the metaverse, but Giving them, allowing them to have their voice to where it can be heard um, over top of those who are male, because this is a very male dominated space. And I think that, you know, in traditional world, women aren't given the space to truly say what they want, be who they want, and express their feelings and creativity in a way that is most positive and conducive to long term success. So I'd love to see that in the metaverse. And on top of that, I think the future is crossing the lines and not only having gaming, but community uh, meet finance in these different spaces. Like I think of, you know, places and partners like Visa probably one day coming into this space and allowing us to, you know, do transactions where maybe I'm taking my crypto and just swiping it somewhere and I'm like the money I'm earning in Axie, I can just swipe it, you know, at a regular store and it just be like so seamless. So I, I very much think that we're going to start seeing uh, big finance, you know, not only collaborating with games, but also collaborating with guilds and community. Like imagine if there was, a, a, you know, I think a Visa card where, you know, if you're a Loot Squad community member, you get a certain you get know, a certain amount of rewards or election based off of uh, having the Loot Squad card or something like I think this is something we'll 100 percent see in the future. Um, And I think play to earn NFTs, but the overarching idea of community is here to stay. And the metaverse is going to be in a great
0: place. I think that swiping the card thing would be entirely buildable today, and I think it's a matter of time till somebody does it. That would be super exciting. Right, well, we are out of time. I would love to keep this conversation going with you guys. Before we end the show, I just need to do a quick shout-out. So this week, if you need another podcast in your life, then please do check out the Money Movement podcast by Circle uh, to hear more about the impact of traditional finance businesses entering the DeFi ecosystem. (laughs) We had a panel with Jeremy Allaire, who's the chairman and CEO of Circle, and Johan Bonman, who's the institutional product lead at Consensus MetaMask. And of course, the guest host was our very own Pierre Legrand, who's the consulting partner here at 11FS. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you all so much for joining me. Uh, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Let's start with uh, Kathy. Uh,
3: you can definitely find me on LinkedIn, um, you know, in Kathy Hackle, H A C K L, across LinkedIn. Um, and also on Forbes, I do a lot of writing for Forbes, um, related to the metaverse and NFTs.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Bryce.
2: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Bryson underscore. And if you search Bryson pretty much anywhere, uh, that's the best way to find me. I'm going to have to convince Kathy. I gotta, I gotta find Twitter. Kathy, what what you got for me on the Twitter front?
3: No, Twitter as well. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Twitter. Uh, don't get me wrong. At Kathy Hackle on Twitter.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and Kai.
1: On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and Visa.com slash crypto.
0: You can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter, and you can find uh, 11FS at 11FS.com. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode, and remember to tell all your friends about it and leave us a review, because those reviews help other people discover the show um, and find interesting conversations like this one. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody, and goodbye for now.